Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Welcome to Mary Ann Live. Hey, all you Steve Berry fans. I know you're super excited. This hour, Steve Berry is joining us, New York Times best-selling author. New book, The 14th Colony. It is out. It's available. Oh, my God. We're going to get to talk with Steve Berry this hour about it. Yeah, it makes you hyperventilate. I don't know if you've ever read one of his novels. It's like, wow. I mean, it's so exciting and it's the kind of thing where you just can't put it down, and there's so much excitement, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I said it. All right. It's all right. We're going to get there. But before we do, what we like to do uh, here at Marian Live is we like to get present. We like to practice together here at the top of the hour. We like to get in our bodies so then Steve Barry can help us pop out and move into the uh, historical fiction realm of the imaginal world, uh, which is super fun. But in the meantime, uh, before we get there, let's just take an audible breath. Find your center. Yeah, it's not overrated. It's not a cliche. It's a great way for everybody to get in that place inside themselves where they can receive, where you can receive all the gifts that our guests has to offer us today. Just noticing where your breath is in your body. It's a really easy practice. Noticing if your shoulders are up around your earlobes. Noticing if your breath is in your belly or your chest. Just situating yourself. Getting in your body. Yeah, real super easy to do. One of the first things we do together at the top of the hour. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. We have... Uh, best-selling author Steve Berry with us today, and yeah, he's breathing with us, too. Yeah, he's like, yeah, uh-huh, <laughs> that's right, he is. He said, I am breathing, he said. There's nothing wrong with breathing together, right? I'm not asking you to do anything else except breathe, and then find a portal of gratitude. Who doesn't need a portal of gratitude, right? Finding your way into a perspective that allows you to move through the world with an expanded capacity, an expanded capacity for giving and receiving joy, gratitude, all the gifts uh, that life has to offer. And, And oftentimes they say that begins with just acknowledging who in the we, who in the we helps you do what you do. Who in the we helps you do what you're doing right now? For example, uh, what kind of electronic device are you using right now? Do you have any idea how many people it's taken to create that particular gizmo 
I'm looking at my microphone right now, trying to imagine just who even invented this little knob and this, uh, yeah, all the wires and et cetera, et cetera, all the way back to who knows when, right, where we uh, had that key with, uh, uh, you know, I, I see him in my mind's eye, Franklin D. Roosevelt. No, he didn't invent electricity. <laughs> Steve Barry's laughing at me. He's like, yeah, you know history, not. <laughs> Who did invent electricity? Well, he's part of, uh, if you can tell me that uh, and send us an info at Marion Live, I'll give you a copy of Steve Perry's book. Uh, yeah, I'm grateful for that guy or for the group of people that made it possible for electricity. Who are you grateful for? For the food in your belly, for the electronic devices you're using? Yeah, just know the list is long. We're going to go down our list of folks who make this program possible while you multitask and find your own portal of gratitude. How many people does it take to write a book anyway, right? How many people does it take to get your book published, as they say, uh, in the world of publishing? So, oneworldchildrenfund.org, if you're online, uh, is uh, our honorary sponsor here at Mary Ann Live, and that's at the global level of our gratitude. On the national level, our gratitude ranges to and through the National Action Organization committed to changing the way our culture values each other. And at the local level, um, the Open Secret Bookstore in San Rafael, California, they've got the latest in meditation and revelation. And Steve Berry's book is probably front and center right about now at the Open Secret Bookstore and any bookstore that you will find here in the United States. That is, I don't know where you're tuning in. You might be in Australia, China. You could be anywhere, any continent right now listening to this program, but we know that you probably at some point have access to Amazon. We know you can get Seabury's book at Amazon.com, and we'll keep uh, chiming in a little bit later on to remind you how and where to get a copy of his new book. So, that said, we're breathing in and out. We have accessed a portal of gratitude, and hey, let's add Steve Barry to our list. We're grateful for... Steve Barry's uh, active, imaginal capacity, right? Uh, this is not his first rodeo here with the uh, being a New York Times best-selling author, for sure. He is considered the New York Times and the number one internationally best-selling author of 10 Cotton Malone Adventures. And for all you fans out there, you know what we're talking about. Four standalone thrillers and four short story originals. History lies at the heart of every Steve Barry novel, and it's his passion when he shares with his wife, Elizabeth, which led him to create History Matters, a foundation dedicated to historic preservation. Since 2009, Steve and Elizabeth have crossed the country to save endangered historic treasures, ranging, sorry, raising more than $800,000 via lectures, receptions, galas, luncheons, dinner, etc., and his popular writers' workshops. And he's joining us today to talk about his new book, uh, which we've got right here front and center, The 14th Colony, asking what, what can history teach us? Can it be exciting? Oh, yes. This author, for sure, translated uh, his books into 40 languages. 20 million copies sold. He's bringing us his latest thriller. Okay, what happens if the president and vice president-elect both die before taking the oath of office? Well, the answer is political chaos, enough possibly to bring down the United States of America. Well, stay with us this hour, and uh, we will uncover some of the little-known historical secrets from both 
America's and the Soviet Union's past and how they might be affecting our lives today. Welcome to the program, Steve Barry. We're so glad to hear to have you here on Marian Live. Great to be here. Thank you. I've been I've been breathing right now. You've been, <laughs> been breathing. I heard you. I'm a witness. You're a good breather, Barry. You're a good breather, Mr. Barry. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So we're breathing together, everybody. Steve Barry's in the house joining us today on Marian Live. Uh, the 14th Colony. Now, for your fans, we're all ready to talk about this book, but let's back up a little bit and talk about, uh, you know, uh, the Cotton Malone series that you've created and where that started, Steve, just so we can catch people up. It started in 2006 with the Templar Legacy. I uh, created a character. I was in Copenhagen, actually. I was there. And uh, I was sitting in Hybro Plots, which is a square there, and I was in the Café Nordon, which is still there to this day, on the second floor, looking out a lovely evening, beautiful, beautiful evening in Copenhagen. And he just sort of popped into my brain, this character of, um, he'd be a retired Justice Department agent. He would live here in Copenhagen. He's going to own an old bookshop, and it's going to be right there in Hybro Plots. And there's even a building there. It's a, it's a royal Danish um, porcelain shop. And the facade is a 16th century brick. And I just moved that facade to the other side of the square, and I made that his bookstore. And so he was sort of born there, and I went home and I wrote The Templar Legacy. Now, that was my fourth novel that was published, and it was my breakout book. Uh, each Every writer has a book that kind of kicks you up a notch. And my first three did very well, but Templar did really well, The mm-hmm. Templar Legacy. And it remains to this day my biggest-selling book. And so Cotton was born. He's now had... Uh, we're now on the uh, we've been in ten, and the fourteenth colony is the eleventh adventure for Cotton Malone. So he's uh, he's been around, and he's had some great adventures. And for people who don't read me, my books deal with something from the past, something real, something actually real from history that you may know nothing about, that still has great relevance today because mine are modern day international suspense thrillers, and so that thing from the past still has relevance today. And they're action, adventure, you know, you know, secrets, conspiracies, international settings, all those kinds of things. And um, it, uh, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a little bit of a, of uh, I, I say all the time, it's a little bit of James Bond, it's a little bit of uh, Indiana Jones, uh, and it's a little bit of uh, Da Vinci Code. It's sort of a little bit of all three of those. What do you attribute to the great popularity surrounding the Templar? stories or, or lore, legacy, well, and, and so forth? Well, they were in 2006. From around 2003, of course, Da Vinci you know, did that. It brought Templars to the forefront. That was a magic word, and you saw a lot of books with that title in it, Templar, and it was a magic word. By spring of 2006, I was in the last wave of that. The Da Vinci Code movie came in May of 06 and sort of ended after that. It sort of had its three-year run. It ended. So it was a magical word that people just were fascinated with. My um, my book doesn't deal with the Hollywood Templars, though, the little the, the, the weird version and the odd version of them. Mine deals uh, in the Templar legacy. I dealt with what they how they were really like. But it was still a great action-adventure story with Cotton Malone, and it deals something you know very interesting, uh, very... Um, very relevant. It was one of my religion books. I did three religion books, Third Secret, Templar Legacy, and Alexandria Link. And it was uh, it dealt with something very interesting from the New Testament. It's a great thriller. If anyone's ever checked it out, I would encourage them to give it a shot. Beautiful. That's a great invitation. I don't think anybody will be disappointed. 
And, and as, you know, uh, wanting to be very gentle in my approach to your uh, relationship with your muse, I, I do have a couple of questions about how it is that you've conjured um, this character. You say he just sort of showed up. But is there any background that you could um, make us privy to that might have, I don't know, made you prone to come up with such a character? Well, he's, he's basically me. He's my personality. I used me to create him. So he's, oh. he's essentially is me in, in just about every respect except for the extraordinary things that he does, jumping out of planes and shooting <laughs> guns and doing all that kind of stuff. I don't do that. But as far as his personality and his thoughts and his actions and his his faults, his fears, those are pretty much mine. So it's, he's just—he's really just me. So it's—he's an easy character for me to deal with because it's just me there. And Cassiopeia Vitt, who's his, somewhat of his become his love interest over the years, is basically my wife Elizabeth. So it's just—it's really just the two of us in the book is what it is. All right, got it. And so, in terms of being a writer, is this something you've done for most of your adult life? Or did you have another incarnation there that preceded this? Yes, I was a lawyer. I was a I was a I was a trial lawyer for thirty years, and um, and I I um, started writing in 1990. I was 35 years old, but it didn't. I didn't sell my from the day I wrote my first word to the day I sold my first word was 12 years, hmm. and I submitted five manuscripts to New York publishing houses during that time. I wrote eight, but five went up, and they were rejected 85 times. It was the 86th time that I made it 12 years after I started. Mm. And then I wrote seven books as a lawyer, and I stopped practicing in 2008. Mm. Mm. Do you miss it? Not a bit. <laughs> not a bit. Not, not a drop. I, was, uh, I did it for 30 years. I was a trial lawyer, and I, I did thousands of divorces and criminal defense. I saw people at their worst. It was exciting. I enjoyed it, but I, I wouldn't want to go back, no. So talk about your fascination with history before we go to the break here. Let's get started on that. Uh, so it's important to to uh, reconcile in a historical fiction, you know, the facts, and then I want to talk about how you bend the facts and how you, you know, kind of walk that edge because that's just something that's not so easy to do. I do very little bending in my books, and that's the... That's the niche I've carved for myself. My, uh, I, try to, I try to stay about 90% to history. I bend only about 10% because I am writing a novel and I'm, I'm trying to entertain you. I have a writer's note in the back of all of my books that's very extensive that tells you exactly where I've bent it so that you don't leave the book thinking something's real when it's not. So I'm very conscious of that fact because a lot of people are actually getting their history from reading novels like mine, mm -hmm. which is not really the best thing in the world because I'm not a historian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I am a guy who has read three to 400 books on a single subject. And, and I spend 18 months researching each novel, and I immerse myself into that subject matter. So I can offer a little bit of insight into those things. Mm -hmm. And then I make clear what's true and what's not. But my niche in this genre is I stay about 90% accurate. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so, yeah, as we turn towards the break here, uh, if we can get this question in, or at least the start of it, around your political affiliation. So this is another edge, right? Uh, your your alignment with a perspective is—it's not that it's not clear, but but uh, isn't that a little scary? I mean, some of your uh, political positions are pretty strong. Um, well, 
my, I give always, there's always two sides in every novel. We, they did a study on me recently to test my audience, and I was very pleased to see that uh, my audience is 50-50 liberal conservative. Uh, it's just right down the middle, and I was just thrilled to see that because I, I don't really take a position. I, that's not my job. I'm not, I'm not writing a novel to, to make a point. I'm writing a novel to entertain you. And so my um, subject matters may be interesting to the right, but there is a lot in there for the left to embrace. And together they come together in a story, and I, I always deal with both sides of it. So it was very pleasing to see that my audience is, is ex just exactly 50-50, because that's what I've been working hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. Do you ever want to lean one way or the other no, a little bit more? No? not at all, not at all. I'm a, as I said, it's hard enough to write a novel. It's even harder to write a novel and try to make some kind of political point. And I'm not interested in that. My, I'm, I'm here to entertain you. That's my job. If I can inform you a little bit about something along the way, wonderful. And I do have a lot of information in the books. You're going to learn a lot about some very obscure things in history that are relevant, that are quite you know, interesting, and you go like, wow, I never knew that. But the, the books are not designed to, to take a stand. Mm -hmm. And in the 14th Colony, we're going to start out by learning something that maybe a lot of people don't know about Canada. Yep. Tell us what that is before we get started. Well, there's a good example. Canada was supposed to be our 14th Colony. It was supposed to be it. We, were, we, were, we wanted it badly. We invaded in 1775, and we were defeated. We invaded in 1815. We were defeated. Canada is the only nation in the world that's defeated us twice on the battlefield. We gave up until the 1930s, and we actually formulated a secret invasion plan of Canada. This is all true. It's one of these things from history that you may not know a lot about. It was classified until 1974, and it figures very prominently in the 14th colony. Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty fascinating. I didn't even know that uh, we have been defeated uh, twice. here in America. By... Twice. Yeah, twice. Twice. I mean, nobody ever talks about that. Right? Yeah, we got to be bad. It wasn't a it wasn't a simple defeat. It was a crushing defeat. Um, we always thought the French up there hated the British worse than they hated us, and we were wrong. The French actually hated us worse, and so they always sided with the British, and we never were able to take Canada. I have a question for you about American history and and the difference between us Americans and Europeans in terms of our aptitude around history. Uh, it seems to be a pretty common facet most. Europeans are more, um, I don't know, they're more uh, up on uh, their historical, um, their, their heritage, uh, the facts and so forth. And here in America, like you said, we learn it from novels. Why do you think that is? Well, we take a blase attitude to it because in school we all hate it. You know, we, you ask, what's the worst course you ever had in school? History. I hate history. Because it's, a lot of times it's the way it's taught. You know, history is a story. It's exactly what it is as a story, and it's not taught that way. It's taught facts and figures and data and all, and nobody really cares about that. So we, we have, a from a very early age, we're turned off to it, and so we block it out. Now, in Europe, it's different. It's surrounding them every day, and there's a great nationalism in each country there. They're very proud of their of their heritage. They want to know where they came from, and, and here we deal we deal far more in the myths of history. We like the, the myths and the story and the, the legends of history, not necessarily the, the more relevant and important things. To me, the truth is a lot more fascinating. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they say that the history is recorded primarily by the victors. Yep. Well, not primarily. Totally.
totally recorded by the victors. Whoever is in charge, of, whoever survives a particular something, are the ones who actually make the notations and, and write it down for posterity, and that's the way it's been for all for all eternity. Yeah, and that's starting to change with our information. Yeah. Uh, it's different now. Yeah, it really is. And, and for example, some of these uh, little-known facts, um, we get to share them and um, be changed by them. I think that's one of the things I liked about your novel, um, this particular one, um, just the way that I feel affected by history without it um, being necessarily reductive or trying to lead me in a direction. It leads me, leads me with questions. Um, as well as informing me in ways that maybe, you know, I wouldn't have thought about before. I, I think that's a real art, uh, a gift that you offer Thank all of us. You. Thank you. That's, that was, that's my main goal. Yeah. So uh, Steve Barry is joining us on Marianne Live. He's written uh, the next, I'm not, is this the last of the no. series? No, We're no. Going to keep going. Gosh, okay. no. I hope it goes for like for eternity. <laughs> for eternity. <laughs> yeah. The 14th Colony is the title of uh, Steve Barry's latest novel that we're talking about here on Marianne Live. If you have any questions, want some more information, you know where to find us, info at MarianneLive.com. And uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to find out more about uh, Steve Barry's other books, uh, you can do so real easy. Let your fingers do the walking. SteveBerry.org, uh, S-T-E-V-E-B-E-R-R-Y.org. And uh, before we go to break, Steve, tell us a little bit about, and we're going to backtrack for a second, you and your wife have an organization uh, that you put together uh, that I was mentioning a little bit earlier on, uh, History Matters. Can you talk about this foundation real quick? Yeah, we created it seven years ago to help communities raise money for historic preservation. And uh, we've done that. We've done about 90 projects around the country. We've raised about a million dollars. You had mentioned 800000 when you did the intro. It's now up to a million yeah. uh, dollars in, uh, for, for historic preservation. We've helped all kinds of things, buildings, land, documents, artifacts, books, you name it. We've, we've helped raise money for them and uh, we do around four to five uh, history matters projects a year uh, if anybody has a project out there that they think might we might could help out with they can go to that website steveberry.org and send us an email and we'll see what we can do we do it through a variety of ways we do we help communities raise the money through like galas and dinners or sometimes and most times we teach our writers workshop elizabeth and i teach four hours on the craft of writing and all of the money that we raise from those goes to the project. We never charge expenses to come or anything. We pay our own way. So if anybody's got something out there, send me an email. Beautiful. All right, everybody, sit tight. We're going to be back right after these messages. More from Steve Barry right here on Marianne Live. The 14th Colony is the title of his new novel. Get a copy while you're at the break. We'll be right back. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. 
Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've ordered No More Love Life Drama for Us. Music, information, and friends. HealthyLife.net All right, everybody. Welcome back to Marion Live. We're so glad you're here. And we know there's a million, bazillion Steve Barry fans. Uh, this is novel number 10 in the series here for, for folks who follow the uh, Cotton Malone adventures. And uh, The 14th Colony is the title of Steve's new novel. We're talking about that today. Um, we started uh, out by giving a little background, uh, Steve, for folks who aren't familiar with your work, for the few folks who, who don't know about you. And we were talking about um, one of the things I thought was great was that, you know, 90% of your history is factual, that you kind of, you know, you go a little bit, uh, you get creative with the 10%, but there's a disclaimer at the back of the book for folks who, you know, aren't, so they're not misled. This is really unusual, and I appreciate about appreciate that about you. Thank you. I, make, I spend about a week writing that writer's note because I go through making sure that you don't leave there thinking, as I said, most of it's true, so what yeah. usually happens, you think something's false when yeah. it's really true. Well, it's funny because, you know, with all this we were saying uh, earlier, the, the information superhighway, I think that's probably the old school way of talking about the Internet, but, you know, there's so much information out there, and people talk about things as though it's fact because, uh, they can, right? And, and there's something about integrity, and, and I really appreciate that, that about your writing, that you have a, a very strong integrity about your historical uh, novels that I think is important for a lot of us, especially uh, for a lot of us Americans who are learning about history in your novels. For example, during the break, uh, right before the break, we talked about the fact that uh, the Canadians kicked our butt twice, okay? And, uh, yeah. And what Americans don't know is that we, we had an invasion plan of Canada in the 1930s, and we would have invaded Canada if Hitler had taken England in the Battle of Britain. And that invasion plan was not only created, it was actually steps were taken on it. So it was very interesting that we, uh, that we wanted you know, to be prepared, and we had set up to go up and take Canada. Right, yeah. And uh, so let's, that's a great entree. So Cotton Malone, he's... He goes back to his folks, and he's thinking that they've got one more mission for him, right? And, and this is a, a great entree for, for what this book is predicated on. Uh, let's, let's start there. We don't want to give everything away, but uh, let's talk about this. this uh, I think the uh, Ronald Reagan and John Paul II uh, talk has something to do with this, but I want you to tell me. Yeah, story. but there, there's another thing from history that I'm sure very few people know about, that on June the 7th, 1982, John Paul II and Ronald Reagan went into a room, closed the door, and for 50 minutes they spoke alone. And this is the first and only time in history that's ever happened. To this day, we have no idea what those two men talked about. There's no agenda, no notes, no nothing on it. They never spoke of it themselves. And historians think that what they did is they made a deal that day. They made a deal to work independent of one another and to take the Soviet Union down. Now, we don't know if they made that deal. What we do know is for six years after that, that is exactly what both men did. And history has now clearly recorded that the fall of the Soviet Union is directly attributable to John Paul II and Ronald Reagan. And we, we firmly believe it all started at that meeting that day. And so that's the prologue of the novel as we get going. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a program, actually several programs on TV right now. One that comes to mind, I think it's called The Americans. Do you know the show? Yes. Okay, yeah. So uh, there's an example of one point of view with regard to the Cold War, what was happening back then, that there are all these Soviet spies everywhere, and, and there are nuclear um, uh, bombs uh, in in, in in particular uh, configurations that none of us really considered. Uh, talk about um, the the likelihood of that show as it relates to the actual, um, you know, the, the factual history around uh, this nuclear conversation. Well, there's a lot about that show that is factual. The KGB was the largest, most expansive intelligence network ever created by the human mind, and it was massive. It was huge. They had sleeper agents all over America. There's absolutely no question about that. There were thousands of them here in America. Um, we now know that the KGB hid weapons caches all over the world, hidden caches of weapons. Two were, have been found, one in Belgium and one in Switzerland. None have ever been found in this country, but there's no doubt that there are some here. We know this because defectors have told us all about it, high-level defectors, archivists who have told us about it. We also know the Soviet Union produced 250 suitcase-sized nuclear weapons in the 1980s. To this day, not a single one of those weapons has ever been located. And so this is all, this is not, this is not Hollywood or made up. This is actual fact that happened. I incorporated all of those into the novel. Now, don't worry about the nukes because unless they're hooked up to a battery, a constant power source, when their batteries run down, and they're only good for about six months, the batteries run down, the weapon is useless after that. I just figured out a way in the novel to keep power to a couple of them for 25 years. Is that, what, is that part of that 10%? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it actually it can be done. I mean, I, yeah, it was my, my creation of it. But the, uh, when Congress investigated all this in 1999, they concluded that if you could keep constant power to one, it'd still be viable. Yes, it would. So it, it, Con Maloney's got this uh, new mission, right, um, yeah. that's handed off to him. Part of it is exploring this 30 years sort of Cold War, post-Cold War story. And, again, you've got to get the book. You don't want to give this away. But uh, do you think, and I know this is maybe it's going to sound naive, but do you think that this, this, is, uh, this story is alive in the United States in the way that you're talking about it? I mean, do you think this stuff is still going on? Do you think we're no, in danger of, of... I don't think we have uh, sleep. I mean, there, there are probably certainly sleeper agents here from, from various intelligence agencies around the world i don't i don't doubt that i mean the uh, the intelligence game is still happening just not in the same way uh are there kgb sleeper agents of course not the kgb's gone are there fsb sleeper agents possibly possibly could very well be here but i read a lot of uh, some biographies of former kgb sleeper agents and i read books about them and i modeled my uh, antagonist off of those and uh they they did exist they had an interesting existence here and they were fascinating the way they blended in. There's a saying in the novel that the best agent is not the one that's hidden in the shadows, but it's the one right in front of your face. That's the best agent of all because you never suspect them. They're right there in front of you. Well, this begs the question for me anyway, Steve. What can we learn about what's happening in the Middle East by uh, reading your novels? What do you think? In the Middle East? Not much. I don't deal with the Middle East very much in my books. I sort of stay away from that. My one 
uh, divvy into that was the uh, Alexandria link, which I dealt with a theory, a fascinating theory that's real, that both the Israelis and the, uh, the Arabs hate, but for totally different reasons. And I actually dealt with that in the Alexandria link. That was my one foray into that area of the world. I sort of stay away from it. Um, it just, uh, there's so many other things that are interesting and so many other people are dealing with that subject. So it's not one that I get into very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so let's go back to Cotton's, um, his, uh, mission, as huh? it were. And, uh, so he's faced with, uh, this sort of, uh, do or die situation. He has to pretty much bring his whole entire arsenal of uh, skills to this scenario. Uh, did this story just unfold for you as you were going along? Does the character sort of tell you what's going on, or do you have it mapped out before you even, uh, you know, meet the chapter? How does that work for you? Well, it would be lovely if it was all mapped out before you did it, but unfortunately <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. So um, what I do is I outline about 100 pages ahead of myself. So I stay around 100 pages ahead where I can keep in, uh, where I can keep going, and not slow down. You have to realize that with a writer, a writer spends 90% of their time thinking about what to write, and about 10% of their time actually doing it. So you spend a lot of time thinking about it. So I'm very conscious about that, and uh, I try. But I do have a general idea of where I'm going. I have a general idea of what the characters are going to do. So I'm not just making it up as I go along, there is some rhyme and reason to it. Well, some authors, like, they sort of backwards map, right? They know the end of the story, and then they maybe map it out. Oh, yeah, there. I do that. I mean, okay. yeah, because you're, you're asked all the time, where do you start a novel? Well, you start a novel as close to the end as possible. Yeah. So that presupposes you have to know the end here. Okay. Uh, some of your favorite uh, highlights in this book, Steve, share those with us. Um. I mean, for this book, uh, it was fun to uh, to do the scene with the, the Russian AN-2 plane. It's a biplane from Russia that can actually fly backwards without any power and a strong headwind. It's actually been done before, so I had Cotton do that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, writing the scenes with Lake Bako was very interesting. I, I, enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed that because it was uh, uh, part of the world I did not know a lot about. And it was fascinating to, uh, to to write those. Prince Edward Island was cool. I loved all that up there. We actually went up and visited that. So there's a lot of really cool scenes in the novel. And uh, I got to get a cool tour of the St. John's Episcopal Church across from the White House. They took me down in the basement. And that's when I got the idea to uh, to link that up. And so we had a, we had a good, uh, fun time researching. Yeah, the uh, on the note of the Russian biplane that can actually fly backwards, that's actually true. You yep. say it's got no engine power. It could do that uh, into a sufficient enough headwind, and, and no other aircraft can make that claim, and this ability has been used by more than one pilot to avoid crashing in real life. Yep. Wow, that's pretty intense. And when I read about that, I said, well, i got to let Cotton take, take a shot at that. <laughs> yeah. Something you haven't had the chance to do yet. No, that's All not right. me. All right, everybody, sit tight. We'll be back in just a minute. More with Steve Barry, uh, The 14th Colony, his new novel, and we'll get back right after these messages. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, 
I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've, We've ordered, ordered no, no more love, love life drama, drama for us. More exhilarating talk. HealthyLife.net. everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Marianne Live. I'm Marianne Camarado. Joining us today, Steve Barry, New York Times best-selling author. He's written a new novel for us, The 14th Colony. Uh, before the break, Steve, we were talking about some of your favorite high points that you incorporated into the book, and uh, we were talking about this Russian biplane that can actually fly backwards. Um, and that's actually true. You didn't make that scene no. up. No, that's real. I actually, I actually saw some video of the plane, and I read some accounts of pilots who have actually done it. And so when I when I saw that, I said, "Well, that's cool. It's a it's a traditional Russian plane. It's a very so Russian workhorse plane that's very common in Siberia to this day. So it was perfect to work it in with cotton." Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit about what he does in that scene without totally giving it away? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's trapped up there, and he, he gets. Uh, shot down so they shoot him down from the ground and his wings are pierced and these wings are the old bio, these are the old cloth wings that, that, that have on there it's very uh, very fragile plane and he has to the, the engine goes down but he has a very strong headwind so he, he uses that and he flies the plane backwards and manages to make a uh, somewhat rough landing on Lake Bakel Lake Bakel is a very interesting place it's the largest freshwater lake in the world it contains 20% of the world's fresh water but in winter, it freezes so solid that you can actually lay railroad tracks across it and run a railroad on it. That's amazing. And they actually have done that. Wow. So he lands on the lake itself, and then a, a lot of mayhem <laughs> in, in, after that. And So the, like I said, the novels have a lot of fun and action yeah. and adventure, but along the way, you're going to learn these little tidbits just like that. You learn about the A&T. Yeah, I love it. So you were also talking about St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C.'s Lafayette Square. Yep. Uh, you said it's known as the President's Church. It is. A very, as every uh, chief executive since James Monroe, I think he's, uh, they've each attended a service there or something. That's correct. That 54 is reserved for the President's There's a little plaque. It says the President's Pew. And if the President is there, that is that is the President's Pew. And it's there. And every President since Monroe has, has gone there for at least once. Wow. And uh, the cool thing about the church, though, is that it was built in 1815. At the same time, they were rebuilding the White House across the street after it being destroyed in the War of 1812. Oh, it, was, it was burned in the War of 1812, and that, that was a, an incredible coincidence to me. And uh, they took me on a tour around the church, and then they took me down into the basement. And when I went down the basement, I saw something really cool down there, and I said, no, this is, I got it now. And so there's a connection. I make a connection. And there's that little 10% again. Yeah, there you go. That little 10%. Everything's real until that little 10% connection. Mm-hmm. I was reading, I think it was in Chapter 33, there's a scene, um, one of my favorite scenes in the book, when you just don't know who's on first, right? You think 
even though you know these characters, I love this about your books, uh, you think you know these characters, but then they surprise you. Just when you think you know who's got the gun or you know who's killing who or who knows what they think they know, uh, Chapter 33 is uh, one of my favorites where where you just really um, are surprised in that kind of uh, Steve Barry kind of way where everything sort of flips. And uh, Can you talk about, do you know what chapter, you know, do you know what yeah, yeah. I'm talking about where they're in the library and um, the Russian woman has, uh, I think, I don't know if her name's Catherine, I can't remember now. And uh, is this ringing a bell? Hang on a second here. I'm going to find it for you guys. I just... Uh, noted it for myself because I was so riveted by this particular scene where uh, she's got the gun to him. Uh, she's got a Russian accent. Petrova is her name, yep. right? So talk about this scene for us. Cause I'm it's trying, I, I, as I said, I'm trying to remember it myself. See, I suffer from a fallacy okay. in that I wrote the book. See, two, two years ago. All right. uh, let me let me get my copy right quick. I can get my copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me. I'll, I'll try to refresh your memory while you're doing that. So yeah, I have a copy right here. Let's, yeah, see, so, let's see what chapter 33 is. I were, I'll know it a minute when I yeah, see yeah. it. That's the problem with writing novels. See, I'm two years behind oh, everybody yeah. Sorry else. Sorry about that. And, and so is my memory is sometimes. Uh, don't not, worry. Let's see, 33. Here we go. Let's see where we are. Yeah, so Petrova is trying to get the book from the secret society that the secret society supposedly has, she believes, is hidden here. That's one of the characters. And so, yeah, she's, she's gone to Annapolis. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, and there's a lot of duplicity going on there. Right. Uh, and that was the whole point. I wanted to, to catch you off guard there. Yes. And you don't, you know, you, you may think you know what's going to happen exactly. there. That's the whole point. I don't... I have to shift it, you know, and, and keep you off balance. And there was a moment there when I was able to shift everything, yeah. and everything kind of switched around. And, yeah. and then, of course, the uh, the man who owns the house gets involved right. in it, and then the whole thing kind of yeah. gets out of control. And that's very interesting. And then, and then, you know, shortly after that, you know, Petrov is involved in something else that's kind of shocking as well. Right. So there's a lot going on right there of uh, of a shift. And you, you pick an interesting point in the novel, too, by the way, because that's about the point where I had used Petrova for about as much as I could get out of her, mm -hmm. and it was time to to move on. Yeah, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because well, I remember I put the book down, and I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. And I like to fancy myself as a person who's trying to figure out what's going to happen two steps ahead. And it's really masterful. Uh, when a writer can do that, you know, throw you a curve, and you're like, God, I did not see yeah, that coming. Yeah, I, I always am amused when I get a uh, one of those Amazon reviews or something where the guy says, I could see everything coming a mile away, and, because it was interesting, because I couldn't see everything coming, and I and I made it and created it. It's, I'm really proud that you're able to see everything that's coming, because yeah. I go to great lengths to hide it. Yeah, from yourself, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah, you, you're not going to be disappointed. You want to pick up a copy of uh, Steve, Berry's, Steve Berry's book. It's available wherever fine books are sold. Uh, Amazon is uh, one of our favorite places to do that. Uh, New York Times best-selling author Steve Berry is joining us today on Marianne Live. So, Steve, all right, yeah, this is a fast-moving, it's uh, history, one part, uh, you know, uh, uh, what did you call it? James Bond meets, uh, I don't know, Indiana Jones, Indiana who meets Jones. Robert Langdon. So yeah. a little bit of all of those. <laughs> I like it. So you were definitely entertained. You were educated. And uh, 
I have a question, uh, sort of a, from a feminist bent, um, the more post-feminist era. Um, I like your female um, uh, protagonists um, and, well, your female characters in yeah. general. Do you get any coaching from your wife? You said your um, your characters are inspired by Elizabeth, your wife. Talk about that process, how you work with her, or, or do you channel her? Or what, how does that work? Well, well, all of my female characters are very strong, and that's that's a characteristic of my books. I don't have any uh, I don't have any little weak female characters at all. They're all strong women because I'm basically surrounded by strong women all the time. Mm-hmm. When I was in my law office, I was surrounded by them. I'm, I've always had them around, so I'm very comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. And so my characters are very strong. She has a lot of input into Cassiopeia. She very, uh, you know, Cotton was not supposed to be monogamous. I was going to have him kind of play the field in each book because mm-hmm. it's a little more fun that way for me to have some new person come in and, and mm-hmm. everything. And she she decreed absolutely not. He's going to be monogamous. So, <laughs> uh, and I, I tried to break him up a couple of times, but she wouldn't let me. And so uh, that. That's how he became monogamous. So I'm very conscious of my female characters. I want them to be strong, powerful women. I want them to have some vulnerabilities, though. They, of course, have those, but not to the point that they can't handle themselves. Yeah, when we get back after the break, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that. What the trend is with the emerging feminine, as they say, because you you do a great job in your book uh, depicting women as complex characters, which is kind of a new a new twist on an old story. We'll get back right after these messages. More with Steve Barry right here on Marion Live. Don't touch that dial. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No More More Love Love Life Life Drama Drama for Us. MarianneLive.com is where you can go to keep up to date with what and where relationship expert, author, and radio host Marianne Camarado is appearing next. Besides Marianne's three radio shows weekdays on HealthyLife.net, you can find out details about upcoming or ongoing seminars and workshops. How about information for ordering copies of books or DVDs? That's also available at MarianneLive.com. Find out about CORE Certification, Certificate of Responsible Relationships, www.MarianneLive.com, CORE Certification, Learning Tools to Attract, Build, and Sustain Great Relationships. Also sign up for Marianne's newsletter to be informed about upcoming events and possible workshops or speaking engagements in the Northern California area www.MarianneLive.com Back, everybody. We're so glad you're with us today. Joining us, New York Times bestselling author Steve Barry. He's in the house. He's written another book for us. For all you fans out there, The 14th Colony, if you haven't gotten a copy 
Uh, and this is the time of year to do it here in the uh, States. You know, a lot of us going on holiday, for those of us fortunate enough to get a day or two or a week away, uh, this is the kind of book you want to be snuggled up with on the plane or on a train or, uh, you know, out in your lounge or whatever, or in, in the break room. It doesn't matter where you are. So, Steve, before the break I was asking you about the female characters in your book and, and how novel, in my opinion, and I don't know, maybe some other post-feminists might agree, that you're, you've got some good complexity and strength in these female characters. Do you, do you feel like, okay, you said you've got a lot of female um strong female uh, influences in your own life. When you look out in the political world, uh, you know, because we've got you know, Hillary and, and so forth out there, what do you think uh, is happening in the real world in terms of uh, the presence of the female? Well, the women uh, women are the largest block of voting in America. You know, there's, you know what's it, 60% of the voters are women, mm-hmm. so it's a it's a it's a huge voting block. It's something that has to be taken, you know, has to you have to take into account in any national election. Mm-hmm. And women have emerged very strongly in the political scene. We have, you know, strong presence of women in, you know, on the you know in the Supreme Court now, in Senate, in Congress, and everywhere. So it, it's it's certainly there. It's it's everywhere. And I, I, it's great to me. I mean, I don't. I'm a, I'm very much you know believe in that that equality across the board absolutely there's no there's no reason in the world why there would be any inequality at any point along the way um there's no reason for that at all and so i that probably does spill over a little into my writing because mm-hmm. my my women are tough strong mm-hmm. i even had a a female antagonist mm-hmm. in the venetian betrayal mm-hmm. and i probably have a, a another one uh coming in a year or so i like to to have have one every once in a while uh, if I could find the right mix and the right character, uh, she was she was an interesting character as Ovestina was. She headed up a whole country. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I like that strong woman, but I also like a little vulnerability yeah. in there too. Yeah, that's real life. Isn't yeah, it? right. That's real. And and then we play off that. Remember, you want your your bad characters to have good qualities, and your good your good characters need to have some bad qualities. Yeah. You have to have a little of both. Otherwise, they become, as I say all the time, like a. a uh, a Bullwinkle cartoon, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, you have Dudley Do Right mm-hmm. and 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 Snidely Whiplash, <laughs> and they're they're at they're at both they're at both ends of the extreme, and it becomes very boring. <laughs> yeah. Snidely Whiplash. Yeah, yeah, there won't be any of that in your novel. Well, there's no redeeming social value to Snidely okay. Whiplash. Yeah. So. Uh, most difficult uh, thing you've had to write with regard to the female character that made you actually had to go outside of yourself and ask your wife. Can you remember? Uh, no, I haven't had that yet. I've uh, actually all the scenes I've been able to do, I I can pretty much identify with. It's interesting. A lot of people would never know. Only Elizabeth and I would know this, but sometimes the conversation between Cotton and Cassiopeia are actual words we've said to each other. Ah. So there are actual some of that in there. <laughs> That's cool. It wasn't the. I haven't had a difficult scene with a female character. The most difficult scene I've had to write was the end of this book. Mm-hmm because of Cotton facing that fear of his. Mm -hmm. He has a fear. He has a a deep-rooted fear that paralyzes him. Mm -hmm. And him, he and I share that fear. Mm -hmm. And so writing those scenes, it was tough for me because I've actually experienced what Cotton was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as we come up to to the end of the program here, I've got one question on my mind that's it's political in the sense that it's a it's a trend. It's been happening over the last 20 years with technology and all this. That it sort of feels like we have become desensitized. I like that you brought up the word vulnerability, but so many of us have become desensitized, overstimulated, you know, with all this warring and 
fighting and guns and violence and all this stuff. Uh, what do you think about the trend for the future uh, is going to say, or how is it going to play out with our kids? I mean, what, what, are we, what kind of a nation well, are we leaving for our, our kids? I, would, our I mean, to progeny? me, and, and this reflects into my writing some as well, my books are not overly violent. Uh, I mean, I have some violence in them because you have to have that. But I don't kill someone in a novel unless it, they absolutely have to die. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the bad guy at the end getting their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very conscious about that. I'm very careful about that. I, I don't. Uh, I don't have gratuitous violence. Mm-hmm. I don't have. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't like that in in novels. One reason I don't sell very well in Germany. Germany loves more violent books than I than I do. Mm-hmm. But I sell very well in France, which likes them much milder. Mm-hmm. So you have different places. So in our in our case, you know, we we should be cognizant of that. You know, we 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 don't need to teach our children that violence is okay. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. It's it's only necessary in certain circumstances when there's no other alternative. For example, in war, when you're attacked first. You know, I would say, you know, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, I think violence was the only response we could give them. And unfortunately, there was no other, there was no other appropriate response there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those, but be, you know, short of that, we have to be very careful with it. So I'm very conscious when I write the novels that I keep the violence down. Yeah, and you kind of let us in, in my experience, you let us in on the psychological, even the somatic, uh, uh, inner interior process of the character. Yeah, like I do. He, he just doesn't, you know, shoot him in the head. There's the fear, the trepidation, the, all the thoughts. You like, you really let us in on the whole process. Well, no, killing someone's a big deal. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal, and I've talked to people who have killed people. Yeah. And I've talked to police officers who have shot people, mm-hmm. and I've talked to bad guys. I represented, you know, ten men for murder. Yeah. And so I've, I've I've done that, and so and getting shot is a big deal. Yeah. It's a it's a big deal to the body, and I take that very seriously when I do it. My books also do not have uh, any really bad words in them either. Maybe an occasional damn or hell. I don't go beyond that, and then um, and that there is no sex in the novels, though there is a couple of scenes that happened off screen. There was something going on that you knew was happening, but uh, only the Amber Room, my very first novel, has sex and bad words in it. And after that, after <laughs> yeah. that, I didn't. I don't have them anymore. Yeah. So. So you don't I'm, need to. You're keeping it clean. No, I'm, I'm conscious of that. Yeah. And, and now, sometimes, gosh darn, isn't the right word. Mm-hmm. No, because it's horrible. Mm-hmm. But I found a way to do it without using, you know, you know, really bad language. Mm-hmm. Well, you've done an excellent job. You keep entertaining us. We keep coming back for more, Steve Barry. We're coming up to the top of the program here. What's on deck? What's new, what's next for you? The, new, the next Cotton Malone is finished. You stay a year ahead of the book business, so it's already turned in. It'll be published April of next year. Oh. It's, called, it's called The Lost Order. It's a really cool story dealing with the Smithsonian and something from the Civil War that's true. Readers who have read my books know that I have long teased you about how Cotton got his name. I always call it a long story. Well, next book, you're going to find out how Cotton Malone actually got his name. I serve on the Smithsonian Library's advisory board, so I'm very involved with the Smithsonian. We deal with the 21 research libraries in the Smithsonian. And so I've been wanting to put Cotton in the Smithsonian world, and he will, and so that will be happening next year. Beautiful. Well, we're so happy for you. And uh, what about our would-be writers and other novelists out there? They they get to work with you in your workshops. You've got 
uh, workshops that you do all over the country. Right? We do. Uh, part of our history matters. They can keep an eye on my website at steveberry.org under the events section and under the history matters section. We post those. Uh, the next one I'll be doing will be at Thriller Fest in July in New York, where the thriller writers gather each year. So anybody in the New York area could, could come over to Thriller Fest, and I'll be there, and uh, that'll be the next time I do it. Beautiful. What do you want to leave our folks with today, Steve? I want to leave them with good thoughts about uh, hopefully my books, and hopefully they're tantalized enough for those who have not read me to go out and, and give one of the uh, the 15 books a try. And if they want to know more about those or me, go to steveberry.org and find one of those books that appeals to you. Beautiful. We're so glad you joined us today. Thanks for making time. Appreciate it. You having me. Oh, you bet. You take care. Best of luck to you on the rest of your journey. Steve Berry, I'm Marion Live, the 14th Colony. Everybody get a copy. We're going to go to break here in just a minute. But uh, before we do, yeah, we wish you every blessing on your journey. Steve Berry, come back and see us again. Thank you. Be glad to. All right, everybody. Stay tuned as we make our turn towards the break, and I'll let you know who's on deck next week. Uh, author Steve Barry is the New York Times best-selling author and an internationally best-selling author, by the way, of uh, the 10 Cotton Malone Adventures. And you heard it here. He's got a new one on deck coming out next April. You don't want to miss that. And uh, this program will air again and again, and uh, you can find it on iTunes. You can go to MarianLive.com for more information. And if you didn't already know, we just revamped our website for you so you can listen to this broadcast, other broadcasts like it, share them with your friends on social media, etc. Real easy to do. All you have to do is go to MarianLive.com for more information on that. Super easy, user-friendly. You asked for it. We gave it to you. And, uh, yeah, again, we want to give another shout-out to Steve Barry for joining us today right here on Marion Live and uh, his new book, The 14th Colony, which is what we were talking about today. It's a, a wonderful thriller, uh, and I, I want to read you the blurb here uh, real quick. Uh, a new presidential administration is being sworn in that uh, wants to shut down the billet, which is part of Cotton Malone's, uh, the agency that... Uh, 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 hires Cotton Malone or, or uh, contracts him. Beautiful adventures, uh, very exciting adventures. So, uh, yeah, you don't want to miss it. I'm not giving it away. Steve Barry didn't give it away. We're not giving it away. Everybody, thanks for joining us today. Wow, what a treat. We've got to do history. We've got to do politics. Yeah, we don't... Uh, get those together very often here on Marion Live, and when we do, it's such a treat. Steve Barry joined us. We're, we're so grateful that he did. Uh, we're going to ask him back next time for his next novel. Um, for those of you who like the mix um, of uh, Indiana Jones and, uh, and uh, all the excitement of uh, 007, that's what you're going to get in his new novel, The 14th Colony. Find out more at steveberry.org, S-T-E-V-E-B-E-R-R-Y.org for more information or get a copy wherever fine books are sold. So joining us next week is a surprise. I can't tell you who we've got on deck, but I can tell you this. Uh, in the meantime, you want to talk about secrets to drama-free love? Oh, yeah, I collaborated with eight other experts on love and relationships, personal coaches, matchmakers, dating coaches, and others. A comprehensive guide to going from dating to mating, defining a fulfilling relationship. It's called Secrets to Drama-Free Love, Proven Solutions that Singles Use to Help Them Find, Catch and Keep the Right Relationship. 
And I wrote the first chapter, Self-Love to the Past is the Path uh, to Great Relationships. You can find it on Amazon.com. just wanted you to know that. Just so you know, I'm, I'm still putting it out there. We're uh, doing our best to support you to attract and create healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships. So that's my latest contribution to you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you're going to have to tune in next week for a surprise guest. In the meantime, go do something for somebody else. Don't let them know you did it. That's the third part of your practice for the day. And you can call it a day and then go get Steve Barry's novel. All right, everybody, sit tight for whoever's on deck next here uh, in your life or on the program right after this. And uh, we wish you every blessing until next time. Take good care.